Welcome to the EP Edit. This is a podcast dedicated to topics of interest in the field of cardiac electrophysiology. I'm Dr. Brad Knight, clinical editor of EP Lab Digest. In this episode, we're featuring a discussion with one of our local cardiologists, Dr. Moeen Saleem and Dr. Kanwar Singh about the independent care model in place for practicing EP at both the Midwest Cardiovascular Institute and the Cardiovascular Institute of the South. For more information about EP Lab Digest, please visit eplabdigest.com. Hi, my name is Moeen Saleem. I'm a private practice electrophysiologist based in the western suburbs of Chicago, and I have been for about 18 years. I started off in private practice, and then around 2012, we were acquired by a hospital system. And then more recently in 2021, we decided to form an independent private practice group. We're about 24 physicians, and we have roughly 14 nurse practitioners practicing within two hospitals in the western suburbs. Hi, my name is Kanwar Singh, and I've been a cardiac electrophysiologist for last more than four years now, practicing since 2017 in Cardiovascular Institute of the South in Homa, Louisiana. I finished my cardiology fellowship at Tulane in 2015 and followed with the electrophysiology training in Aurora St. Luke's program in Milwaukee. And thereafter, this was my first job. Yeah, so I'll just give a little bit of background. The Cardiovascular Institute of the South has become a national model of an independent private practice for cardiologists. And around 2020, 2021 timeframe, our group of cardiologists at the hospitals that I practice at, we started looking at options to become independent for a variety of reasons. It seemed to be a better fit for us long term. So my senior partner, Dr. Mark Goodwin, who's an interventional structural specialist, had a relationship with the founder, Dr. Craig Walker, of the Cardiovascular Institute of the South, as well as the CEO, David Kanur. They served on an advisory board for Philips, a triad model of healthcare providers, hospital administrators, and industry specialists. And they would talk about, it was sort of a think tank advisory board for solutions to make healthcare more efficient. And that's really what the goal of a private practice is. How can we optimize operational efficiencies, but still deliver a high quality of care for our patients and have a good work-life balance? So Dr. Goodwin, with his contacts of Cardiovascular Institute of the South, had made a couple of visits to the practice and said, this is the model that we need to try to implement here in Chicago. I actually went on the website of the practice and realized that I already had a digital world connection with one of the EP doctors, Dr. Singh, and I messaged him that we would be coming down to visit his practice and if he had time to talk with me via phone to give me his perspective on his experience with Cardiovascular Institute of the South and, and what attracted him to join that practice out of fellowship. So I started my first job here after the fellowship in 2017. To give some background on the, on the group here, it was founded in 1983 by Dr. Craig Walker out here in Homa, Louisiana, and it has spread out to about 10 locations in Mississippi, Louisiana, and now Midwest. Uh, we have a collaboration with Dr. Salim's group. The total number of cardiologists is close to 60, 64 overall. And in my group here, we have uh, around nine cardiologists and two EPs. And it's one of the, actually the biggest private groups standing at present. 
in the, you know, basically a herd of groups being overtaken by the hospital employees. And that model has been shifting throughout the country. So it's still a unique practice group. When I started the EP practice here, we had mostly cardiology and interventional and significant volume of uh, peripheral artery disease uh, interventions being happening. And the electrophysiology, complex electrophysiology procedures were being sent out. And since then, uh, we started the program here. It's been, you know, we have overtaken the complex electrophysiology procedures to be done locally in HOMA from anywhere from, you know, ablations to lead extractions to epicardial ablations, appendage closures, and pretty much uh, the whole gamut of EP procedures. So what intrigued me about the practice model and when I called Dr. Singh was when my partner, Dr. Goodwin, came back from the site visit and he looked at our work days, the workflow, the efficiencies of our work days. For example, you know, we would see 25 patients and be lucky to be done by 6 p.m. with all the EMR work and clerical work that came along with routine clinic care. And he said, you know, what if I told you that you could see 40 to 50 patients and be done sooner? And I said, there's no way that's true. I don't believe it for a second. You know, we also take general cardiology call and some nights we can take 25 to 50 phone calls. And Dr. Goodwin said to me, what if I told you that you could be on call and take zero to three phone calls? And I said, that's impossible. That does not exist. And when I called Dr. Singh, I just said, tell me about your work days. Tell me about your clinic days. And he said, I see 30 patients and I'm done before five o'clock. And I said, that's impossible. How do you do that? And he had just completed a full week of call. And I said, did you work during the day? He said, yes. I said, how many phone calls were you getting per night? And he just kind of laughed a little bit. He said between zero to one phone calls, maybe over the course of the week. So everything that Dr. Goodwin had said without me prompting Dr. Singh was 100% consistent. There was clearly some operational efficiencies and clearly an improvement in work-life balance that, that they had somehow cracked this code. Time is a fixed commodity. And for People with busy schedules, particularly healthcare providers, it's hard for us to find extra time with our family, but yet they had cracked the code and they had found that for themselves, and yet they were able to maintain a very efficient care model. So that was my initial impression, and everything was confirmed further on the site visit. Dr. Singh, if you want to elaborate on your end of what your experience was coming out of fellowship and now four years into a very busy, successful EP practice. I completely agree, I think. And that hasn't changed. You know, it's been four years. There have been better changes that we have made to the practice since then as well. And uh, when I started, the efficiency in the clinic was already one of the big priorities for the practice. And patients were seen with kind of a rapid uh, intake, quick visit with the physician, and a rapid discharge uh, with the help of the whole team. So I think uh, that comes down to a few things, you know, that I found were really important in terms of improving the efficiency was how many people are working in the background to help get the patient in and out quick. And coming from, you know, two LPNs working with the med tech to get the patient triage, do the EKG device check uh, at the same time, getting the device programmer in the room, you know, by the time the physician enters, he checks the devices already either checked or you check it and you talk to the patient, you make changes in the medications of the device. 
you document on the medical record system, which I'm going to talk about in a second, I think, which is one of the main reasons why it's so efficient as well. And then you make your assessment and plan and the, uh, the nurses will take over from there on and follow the orders. And, you know, uh, you do the billing at the same time as you are doing your clinic visit. So you're not left with any kind of work, you know, at the end of the day, in the last hour to bill the patients or, you know, do the rest of the orders and things like that. So you, once you leave the room, you're done with that patient and you move on to the next room to see the next patient. So it becomes very efficient model in that way. And same time, the follow that similar efficiency in the hospital setting for the call, we had uh, initially we transitioned as well. So we were not always like this. So the first year of my practice, we had a different model, which was a nurse practitioner-based model in the hospital as a first call and then cardiologist with the nurse practitioner for help. So that model worked just fine until it didn't. Uh, Requirements changed. The availability of nurse practitioners changed. So things got different in the local practice group as well as uh, overall in the group. So that led to the model of uh, virtual care center. I think that's uh, where it came out to becoming more efficient in the hospital overnight with the phone calls. And I think one of the challenges we face, you know, during fellowship, it's very different training model. We are, you know, more procedure-based fellowship training. And uh, we have clinic, but many times the continuity of care in EP fellowship clinic is not the same way as we will have in practice. So now, you, you know, when you practice, that's when you learn the, uh, what are going to be the challenges faced in clinic. But I, I can talk about the uh, electronic medical record system. I think that, was really, that is really one of the key factors in the efficiency. So the medical record system was designed by one of our cardiologists in collaboration with the, his software team from India. India and here also now when you look at the medical record system is not physician oriented and you can ask any pretty much doctor, they'll tell you the same, same uh, answer. There are so many clicks. There are so many options to go through. And at the end of the day, you still have to ask for like, how do I figure this out to a, on a phone call or from a nurse next to you? So the medical record system that we use has been designed particularly for cardiology practice and obviously electrophysiology practice and It's very intuitive. There are very limited amount of data that is presented to you in terms of to improve the efficiency. Everything is one click away. When you open a note in the clinic, you cannot finish the note before meeting all the requirements. But the system is designed to make it such a simple way to meet those requirements in probably 10 or 15 clicks and you're done with that. So At the end of the day, when you finish the patient chart, the whole visit is complete and the nurses will let you know at the end of the day if you missed a note or the note was missing some important information or, you know, things like that. So I think uh, combining the EMR with the whole team of nurses and the med techs, you know, underscores the importance uh, why the clinic is so efficient. I'll just comment on some of the points that Dr. Singh has brought up, and that is the clinic. So one of the points we wanted to focus on was metrics. What are the metrics that are tracked by our management team? And so one of the important metrics is number of patients that are seen in a clinic day 
and how much staff is needed to make that happen. And so, as Dr. Singh said, there's a lot of staff work that happens in the background in terms of preparing a clinic for a given day and then preparing the patients to be brought back and then for the discharge. But again, just going through some numbers, in the previous practice model of employment in a system, we would see 25 patients in a day and we were lucky to be done by 6 p.m. and that would be 50 patients in a week. Now we are routinely seeing at least I am, 80 to 90 patients in a week. So that's a 60% increase in productivity and throughput into my clinic. And I'm finishing by 5 p.m. So I'm finishing an hour and a half earlier or two hours earlier than I was before. And with regards to the EMR, the way the computers are set up in the clinic is I go from room to room and there's a workstation in every room I use my badge to sign in and sign out of every workstation. And when I leave one room and I go to the next room, I use my badge. The computer automatically opens up to where I left off in the other room. That alone, without having to log in each time and open up a chart again each time, if it's one to two minutes per patient, that's 40 minutes you've saved in the day all the notes are done. Each note is done by the end of the clinic visit. Now, continuity is another thing I want to comment on. In the past, if I would see an initial consult for atrial fibrillation, I would order some testing, and then a nurse would call the patient to review the testing, make some treatment recommendations, and then schedule a follow-up maybe a few months later. We now have the clinical capacity and efficiency that if I order testing, I bring the patient back in two weeks to review it in person. So rather than a nurse spending time over the phone, fielding all the questions to clarify the treatment plan, to address the anxieties, or to understand the treatment goals, they now come into the office. They see me in person. Everything is reviewed in person because we now have the staff, the efficiency, and the capacity to do it. I think it helps tremendously in terms of continuity. And these follow-up visits many times become high-level visits because based upon that testing, we are now initiating a new treatment plan. We might recommend a procedure. We may do additional follow-up tests. The patients are much happier with this because we have that capacity in clinic. And all this is possible because of a very efficient EMR, because of having the appropriate staffing to have that capacity and efficiency. I'll go back to the virtual care center, as Dr. Singh had mentioned, that they evolved towards that. So the virtual care center is a 24-7 operation. It's staffed by nurse practitioners, nurses, telemetry techs. They take our first call at night. So 25 to 50 phone calls is now down to zero to two or three phone calls. The management team tracks all the metrics of what those phone calls are. So they look at how many phone calls does the virtual care center take, where do those phone calls come from, and what sort of staffing do you need according to the traffic of phone calls? For example, there may be one day or certain hours of a day where a lot of phone calls are coming from pharmacies. So they'll say, okay, this particular time of day, there's a high volume of pharmacy phone calls, so we need to staff the refill team and make sure we have manpower to take all the refill phone calls. 
in the evenings, there may be a lot of phone calls from hospitals about post-op orders or test results of inpatients in the hospitals. So they look at all that and they say, well, maybe we can develop some protocols to make the care more efficient. And again, minimize the number of phone calls that the nurse has to make, or again, protocols to help with the decision-making. So the other thing that the virtual care center does is active management of the patient throughout the night, rather than calling a doctor and waking them up in the middle of the night to notify them of a rhythm change, a test result. The virtual care center is actively managing the patient throughout the night. Testing is ordered earlier. Testing is then completed earlier in the day. And as a result, many patients can be discharged earlier in the day if it was just an overnight observation. So I just mentioned now metrics that we follow in the clinic and then metrics as to how they're followed in the virtual care center and how those metrics help with efficiency in hospital care. To add on a little bit more about the virtual care center model, during the last two years, uh, we have encountered, uh, you know, pandemic, a uh, lot of issues with uh, hospitals, clinics with that and very early on, and as well as continued issues with that. Put into that in South Louisiana, we have hurricanes and uh, we had, unfortunately, a massive one uh, last year. So really, the, we were already as a group set for these challenges to come in and adapted very quickly. For example, in the medical record system that we have, there is one click video or a voice call set up directly to patient's cell phone for a virtual visit. So you don't really have to jump many hoops to set up a, you know, a virtual televisit to a patient who cannot come to the clinic physically. You open the patient chart, you click one link and the patient uh, gets the phone call and will answer and you are connected directly with either a video visit or a phone visit, depending on their capabilities. So that is one great aspect that we were ready to jump into during the you know, pandemic when the clinics closed. And at the same time, when the hurricane set in and you know the clinics were closed because of closures and patients were evacuated and not in their physical locations. So virtually you could reach them out still fill their medications quickly, have even doctor's visits uh, virtually, and that was already uh, in place. The virtual care center was linked to all the patient charts so that even if the patient uh, is displaced into a different state, you know, you can reach their charts quickly, bring them a continuity of care that is required uh, during these times. And then to add on to the day and the night coverage from the virtual care center, the doctors are available, you know, 24-7 as well. But at the end of the day, to have a wakeful doctor during the whole seven days of call during the day is much better than uh, overburdened doctor during the day and night as well. Taking away the burden of phone calls, I think, helps out a lot. You know, we have guidelines and standard care protocols for uh, ACS patients, ICD therapy shock patients who come up overnight that are already established. And most of the patients will fall in a standard category that you can treat them based on an algorithmic approach. So yes, I mean, we need clinical judgment and that's where the experienced nurse practitioners are available at night as well to help with that and know when to call the cardiologist on call and you know, for a critical patient to wake them up and you know, discuss the care plan uh, together. But for the most part in a relatively stable patient, who needs more of an algorithmic approach for care, it can be instituted right away without any delay. 
and patient is stabilized by the time you're around in the morning. We are always available for any emergency, but the difference now is that we get a phone call with all the information ready to be shared with us, as opposed to sometimes if hospital staff will call us, they may not know the information that we want, but they know that they need our help. And they'll call us and say, there's something happening with a patient, we need your help. And then through the phone conversation, we're trying to tease out information on the patient so we can then provide recommendations. In this case, if the nurse practitioner calls us, they have all the information readily available. And the perfect example is if one of our interventional partners gets called in for a STEMI. They get in their car, and as they're driving in, the nurse practitioner is telling them their latest echo, how many interventions have they had, have they had bypass surgery. They get all that information on the patient as soon as they walk in the door. And so the consult, you know, at least the chart review and history of the consult is done as soon as they walk in the door. So these are some of the other efficiencies. Now, just kind of jumping back to some of the EP efficiencies, Dr. Singh mentioned that there's protocols for arrhythmias and ICD shocks. One of the other things with the virtual care center that translates to efficient rhythm management is we have our own telemetry techs working. He has a larger team of telemetry techs because it's 60 plus cardiologists down in Louisiana. We have 24 cardiologists, but we have nine telemetry techs that provide 24 hour coverage for outpatient MCT event monitor, Holter monitor care. So we provide real time monitoring for our patients. And, you know, last month alone, probably 380 to 400 monitors were placed on our patients. And again, we track those metrics. We track the metrics of how many monitors were ordered, how long were the patients prescribed to wear the monitor? Did some doctors have the patients wear the monitor for seven days? Did some do it for 14 days? Did some do it for 30 days? So every month we know this many monitors were ordered. The average time was 10 days based upon the ordering pattern of all the different physicians. But then we have our own telemetry technicians who are providing real-time monitoring. And if there is an arrhythmia overnight of concern, they can review it with the nurse practitioner on call and then call the physician if needed. So it's all an in-house model of providing efficient care, or, you know, as we say, optimizing operational efficiency to give the highest level of care. So discussing this uh, care model uh, in practice and for patients, I think Dr. Salim will agree that we have a good work-life balance in terms of, you know, having a quicker, more efficient, and less frustrating day, uh, not just at the hospital, in the clinic world, and then coming out of that day into your family life and at home, not thinking about what you missed or what you could have done different and things like that. And obviously, you know, there are always going to be some patients which we're going to have to think about. But uh, for the most part, it helps us to prioritize those kind of situations. Yeah, I, you know, I think for me, the perspective I have, you know, I have a perspective of somebody who's been out for 18 years. And so I have a before and after perspective of what it was like to be in private practice for a brief period of time to then transition to be 
employed by a hospital system now back to private practice. And I think that corporate systems, they're here to stay. They're very big and they have to be focused on many things. They are not just focused on cardiology. They're focused on general surgery, medicine, hospitalists, staffing for the hospital, all the strains associated with the pandemic. But I think by becoming independent and having a successful relationship with the hospital administration, I I feel like we have sort of consolidated and concentrated the voice of cardiology in a true meaningful team partnership with the hospital, even though we're not employed by the hospital, but rather than being individually employed by the hospital, we are now a collective group trying to make the cardiovascular program of the hospital successful. And if they're successful, we're going to be successful. And if we can do it with operational efficiencies to make the hospital cardiovascular program successful, increase patient access to our clinics, especially as so much cardiology care is shifting to the outpatient side with ASCs and OBLs, which they have experience with down in Louisiana, and we are in the process of planning here, to have those operational efficiencies and then be able to get home at a reasonable time and be with our family, it's incredibly fulfilling. And and I think that the virtual care center coverage of overnight call and to helping to lift some of that burden on the physician, it also can, I think, increase our careers and go significantly towards preventing healthcare provider burnout, which has certainly been an issue. So I think that this model gives us that opportunity for all of those things. Kanwar, do you want to comment on anything about OBL or ASCs? I don't know. It's not a direct thing of the model, but it's something that they've been very successful with down there. Right. Yeah. I think mostly um, device implants, you know, less complex device implants, pacemakers, ICDs, some less complicated uh, CRT therapies. It's still more in line with interventional cardiology procedures, uh, more readily and easily to do over there in OBL and ASC. But the reason I think ASC model works as well is uh, in EP and as well as in cardiology in general is because of the efficiency again, and then cost savings as well for the patient and or the, you know, basically overall in healthcare for insurances for Medicare and other private insurances. So the patient cost is decreased because the hospital cost for procedures is different than the ASC and the OBL costs. So the patients, I think, out of pocket and overall cost is less the efficiency is more because the you know we our own staff operating and uh, we are very familiar with the you know the working of the whole team the physician schedule is easy to manage there is clinic right next to in the same building so you can have a clinic slash procedure day in between the clinic you know patients or sometimes in between the morning and afternoon clinic I think it's uh, the ASC OBL practice model is uh, here to stay depending on, you know, the federal and state regulations as we go forward. Yes, at the moment, it is mostly for peripheral vascular interventions and maybe some coronary uh, angiograms, catheterizations and things, but EP is moving into that space. All right. Well, thank you to the team at EP Lab Digest and thank you to Dr. Singh my partner in uh, this 
cross-country practice uh, relationship. I really enjoyed the discussion, and it just reminds me of the excitement and the enthusiasm we have for making this model successful, not just here in the Chicagoland area, but partnering with you so that we can show everybody in the country that there's something to be said about this strategy. Thank you, Dr. Salim, and I thank the EP Lab Digest uh, staff as well. It was a good discussion, and thanks for having us today uh, to talk about our model. We'd like to thank Dr. Salim and Dr. Singh for taking part in this interview today. For more information about EP Lab Digest, please visit eplabdigest.com. Thanks for listening.